0: Uh, so, in our series, I had planned, actually months ago, I had planned to spend three weeks in this series talking about uh, <clears throat> what happened at Mount Sinai when God came down and extended an invitation to the people of Israel to be in a relationship with Him, to talk about parallels between that covenant and our covenant today. And so, th- the third week would have been last week, and... but through my own study over those three weeks. There was something I landed on a couple of times, and uh, I just thought, I've gotta, I have got need to touch on that. Like, I've gotta cover that. It's too good to pass up. So I'm gonna do that today. Next Sunday, we're gonna jump out of our series a little bit. Actually, we're gonna hear from a good friend of ours, Eric Roseboom, uh, the president of Alaska Bible Institute. So he's gonna share the word with us and also talk a little bit about the ministry of ABI. Um, But what I want to hit on this morning, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, uh, maybe you have, where uh, knowing something was wrong, you did it anyways. Anyone? Yeah, three of you. Lines wrong and you're doing that, so. My, I actually have these very vivid memories uh, from when I was very young of being caught doing something that I knew, that I knew was wrong. The three, the three that I remember the most was getting out of bed. Remember when the light got switched on and you're standing in the middle of the room thinking, what am I doing here? I was supposed to be in bed. Uh, going to the neighbor's house, like meaning like there was a boundary, right? You can go up to the edge of their yard, but you cannot go into the yard without permission. And then I would get caught by my mom in the neighbor's yard. And then beating up my brothers, that was my other one. <laughs> I don't know if I ever combined the three, like get caught in the neighbor's house after bedtime beating up my brothers, but that would have been a great story. <laughs> but I, I remember so distinctly that feeling of like getting caught and thinking, I don't know why I'm doing this, like I, I knew this was, this was off limits and here I am anyways. So I'm gonna read you a portion of the story. We're actually gonna, uh, I want, there's, a, there's like a, a visual sort of metaphor that's in this story that I want to highlight today. Um, I'm gonna to read you a portion of the story from Exodus 32, ending where we ended, or kind of picking up where we ended last week. I'm gonna tell you ahead of time. I'm gonna read this part of the story. It's not gonna be on the screen, so you're just gonna listen. This is a very, very heavy portion of the story. In fact, this is one of the heaviest, I would, I would say one of the heaviest passages in the whole story of these people. But before I read it, I'm gonna remind you of two things. Number one, I've already given you these reminders, but this will just be another reminder today. Number one, these stories are written for our instruction, right? We are given the testimony of what happened to the people of Israel as an example to us. And number two, all of these stories ultimately point to Jesus, Jesus, right? That all of the story uh, of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, points us to Christ and his gospel. We're going to see that this morning. So let me read you this um, very depressing story. (laughs) Now, there's some challenges in this story that I'm not even going to, like, deal with this morning. There's a part of it that I'm going to deal with, but there's some, other, there's some other hard things in this story that you're just going to have to wrestle with on your own. Exodus 32, beginning of verse 7. I'm going to read it straight out because I want you to hear the, the language. The Lord spoke to Moses. This is when he was up on the mountain. Go down at once. For your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. (laughs) You ever done that to your spouse? Your son, who you brought into existence. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a a molten calf. They've worshipped it and they have sacrificed to it. And they said, this is our God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt so crazy, not only did they make like a God and an idol to that God, but then they gave that idol credit for everything that God had actually done for them, right? And the Lord said to Moses, "'I've seen this people and behold, "'they are an obstinate people. "'Now then let me alone that my anger may burn against them "'and I will destroy them "'and I will make you into a great nation.'" Then Moses entreated the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak saying, with evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel your servants, to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens, and all of this land of which I have spoken I will give to your descendants, and they'll inherit it forever." And so the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. And then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets which were written on both sides, They were written on one side and the other, and the tablets were God's work, and the writing was God's writing engraved on the stone tablets. Now, as they descended the mountain, Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted. And he said to Moses, there is the sound of war in the camp. But then he said, it is not the sound of the cry of triumph, nor does it seem to be the sound of the cry of defeat, but it's the sound of singing that I hear. And it came about, as soon as Moses came near the camp, he saw the calf and the people dancing, and Moses' anger burned. And he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf which they had made, and he burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it over the surface of the water and made the sons of Israel drink it. And then Moses interviews his brother, Aaron. It's kind of like giving me a bad rap here. He interviews his brother and he says, Aaron, what happened? And Aaron's response is so lame. He basically says, well, you know, these people are the way that they are, and they wanted an idol, so, I don't know, they gave me their gold, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. (laughs) That's literally what he says. I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. they're embedded in that part of the story. There's a little detail that God is, is using to paint a picture of the way that he works with people. And it's a picture that he's going to reference later in regards to the new covenant that he will make. Here it is, Exodus 31, 18. This is when he sets it up, and then I'll I'll reread 32, 16. So Exodus 31, 18 says, "'When he had finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, "'he gave Moses the two tablets of testimony, "'tablets of stone written by the finger of God.'" And then in 32, verse 16, "'The tablets were God's work, "'the writing was God's writing.'" engraved on the tablets. Now, we know, if you continue in the story, that these stone tablets, so the original ones were shattered, of course, but these stone tablets with the handwriting of God, expressing the commands of God or the will of God, took on a very sort of sacred nature to the people of Israel. But These tablets are actually a testimony of something else, but first, let me just say this, God's law written on stone was insufficient. Now this is a review from two weeks ago, but I need to do this review to set up what I want to cover. God's law written on stone was insufficient. Putting. His will expressed through commands written by His hand on tablets of His making did not produce obedience or righteousness in His people. And I said this two weeks ago, and I'm going to say it a little bit differently. The problem with the old covenant, the problem with the old covenant was the medium upon which the law was written. The law written on stone did not have its desired impact on the people of God. There's one character in the Old Testament who recognized this dilemma and expressed this dilemma. It's the character King David now, there's a story about King David that you might be familiar with, where King David decides, uh, you know, in his off time uh, to uh, kill his neighbor and steal his wife, except he did it in the reverse order, stole his wife and then killed his neighbor. God, God confronted David through the prophet, and David is, is, is laid bare before God in his sin, in his, his horrible, evil act. And David confesses something in that moment that gets to the heart of what I want to address. David's confession is actually written out for us in Psalms 51, you may be familiar. But listen to this language in his confession. In Psalms 51.10, he says, "'Create in me a clean heart, O God, Renew a steadfast spirit within me. And then in verse 16, he says, you do not delight in sacrifice. Otherwise, I could just bring sacrifices. You're not pleased with burnt offerings. What you want from me is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Here's the problem. David says two things that are absolutely critical to his understanding of, of God and the way that he works. He says, first of all, I recognize that my problem was not, was not an issue of insufficient reminders, right? All right, David, after class, I want you to write on the chalkboard 25 times, I will not kill my neighbor and steal his wife. I will not kill my neighbor and steal his wife, right? Right? The issue was not that David didn't have concrete uh, evidence of the immorality of his actions. David knew. He says, the issue is, is that what you want begins in the heart. And that's the only thing I can't give you. Unless you do something about my heart... I've got nothing. I could just keep sinning and bringing sacrifices, sinning, bringing sacrifices, sinning. I'm pretty sure that's not what you're interested in. What you want is a contrite heart. That is a pleasing sacrifice to you. One problem. Unless you produce that in me, I don't have it. This is why the writer of Proverbs says, Proverbs 4.23, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. This is where all disobedience originates, in the heart. Number two, our hearts are the birthplace of all lawbreaking. you think about some of the things that you struggle with. Fear, anxiety, worry, lust, jealousy. You struggle with those things because you didn't know that they're wrong. And does reminding yourself that they're wrong change much? It's our hearts. It's the, it's the fundamental condition of our heart that gives birth to all law-breaking. Jeremiah seventeen nine, The heart's more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? By desperately sick, he doesn't mean like sick as in like perverted. He means sick as in, as in ill, right? So here it is. God through the prophet Jeremiah is setting up this picture that he he first showed us in Exodus 32. To the prophet Jeremiah, he's, he's gonna address the old covenant. Remember, it was insufficient. The insufficiency of the old covenant was our flesh, our hearts, right? We were like, nope, can't do it. He says, behold, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. And it will not be like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them from the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke even though I was a husband to them. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and then I will be their God and they shall be my people. Do you understand that the law written on tablets of stone is a picture of the hearts of the people? God says, let me show you what your hearts look like. Granite. What could be more dead and unmalleable than stone, right? The problem with the Old Covenant is hearts of stone that are unresponsive to the commands of God. He says, In the Old Covenant, I wrote my law on stone as a picture for you. That's the condition of your hearts. I'm going to do it differently. Now that the old covenant has served its purpose in pointing us towards our need for Christ and revealing our own broken uh, sinful nature, now we're going to establish a new covenant. And this is what I'm gonna do. I am going to, by my hand, by my finger, write my commands and my law on the tablets of your hearts. Number three, God's law written on our hearts is our hope. Ezekiel 36, 26, another prophet looking ahead to the work of Christ. He says, moreover, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. God says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, in the new covenant, and we know now that's through the work of Jesus, I'm gonna place my spirit in you. And what my spirit is going to do in you is take those, those tablets of stone and soften them into something that's pliable, something that's responsive, something that is, uh, that is growing, that is alive. That will be my work in your life. The promise of the new covenant, our covenant, and this is the invitation of God today, the promise of the new covenant is that God is committed to rescuing us not just from sin's penalty, but he is just as committed to rescuing us from sin's power over our lives. How has He accomplished that? How does He rescue us from sin's power yesterday, today, and tomorrow? Through the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? He has washed us clean, made us holy temples, and placed in us His Spirit. And something fantastic happens when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our heart. The Holy Spirit predisposes our hearts to say yes to God in the same way that our stone-cold hearts were predisposed to say no to God. The Holy Spirit in our hearts represents an internal set of instructions rather than just external reminders that only serve to condemn. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.3, you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but written with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. It says you are a testimony to the world, a letter to the world. How? The spirit of the living God wrote his will upon the tablet of your heart. That produces a transformation, which is counter to the patterns of the world, which is miraculous, which is supernatural. If you want to do a follow-up study from this morning, go and read again John 16. Jesus says, it's actually better that I leave because when I leave, I will send you my spirit. He will be in you. And from that place of taking up residence in your heart, having written the commands of God upon the tablets of your heart, he will teach you. He will reveal to you my will, and he will bring conviction to your hearts. So this is what I would suggest. Whatever front that you face evil at right now, whatever it is that you, where the the battle wages against something in your life, there are two approaches. One is try to build up enough, you know, external reminders and uh, tablets of stone. Or there's a second approach and that is to deepen, strengthen my connection to the Holy Spirit residing in me because it's his power at the end of the day anyways that I require to overcome. And the way that I deepen and strengthen that right now is by just saying yes to him. Whatever he's asking, I say yes to him. And if you're here this morning, and you've never said yes to him. I have some fantastic news. Jesus is not just interested in delivering you someday from the penalty of sin. He is ready, present, and available to take your heart right now and to soften it through the gift of his Holy Spirit as you say yes to him. And that can happen right now. This is what I want to do. Uh, Before we go into worship, just where you're seated, we're going to take a minute. And I would just ask that you would uh, tune in to the Lord for a minute. Just invite him in to speak to you and say yes in whatever he requires or whatever he requests. Say yes to him. Let's come before the Lord together.